But hey, let's jump into the final week of this series. Um, over a month ago now, because we, we had a, a break from the series last week, and, but over a month ago now, I asked you, and maybe some of you said yes to the challenge, to go on a journey to go on a month-long journey of finding our way back to God and whatever that means for you. And so if you've been with us these last uh, four weeks and, and, and you've gone on that journey, man, I would love to hear what God is doing in your life. And so if that's you and you're just like, man, Joe, I would love to share about what God is doing in my life. Hey, just shoot me an email. I'd love to hear your story. It's, it's joe at mosaicsincinnati.com. And so just put my name in front of our website. And I'd love to hear your story and just what God is doing in you. Uh, but if you remember, we've been talking through the, the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15. And the first week we talked about an awakening to longing and just waking up that there's got to be more to this life. The second week we talked about an awakening to regret. That was kind of a, a, tough, a tough thing that we just realized, hey, man, I messed up and I need to do things differently and, and, and go back home to God. And then, and then a couple weeks ago we talked about an awakening to love. And how fun was that? Just, just diving into how, how big and how wide and how deep God's love is for us. But today we're talking about an awakening to life, an awakening to life. Now we all know what it's like to hit a high point in life or to have an amazing experience that you just never think could ever be topped right? Can you think back to a moment in your life like that? Man, I've, I've told my boys a lot, and, and I just know that for me, when I think back to what was the best time in my life, what was kind of that, that, that time where I felt like I was living life to the fullest, whatever, you know, whatever our filter would mean for that. And I always immediately think back to my college days. I had so much fun. My, my university was downtown Minneapolis, and, and, and just had a blast with my friends all the time, and just, it, it was amazing. But one night in particular, it was during my senior year, and I had a great roommate. His name was Chris, and he was a goober. I mean, but that's what made it so fun. Uh, we, we just we were either playing basketball or just goofing off or just having amazing times together. And so one night, his friend came in from, he was from Utah, so his friend comes in from Utah, and, and we basically just, we started hanging out about 8 o'clock at night, and, and, and next thing you know, we're eating pizza at some pizza place at 1 in the morning, and we're walking around downtown St. Paul, just being total goofballs. Uh, at one point, I think we even jumped in the river uh, downtown Minneapolis and, and just, just great memories. And uh, you know, the, uh, those times that you've been with friends and just had lifelong memories and, and, and just look back and you're like, man, how cool was that? And it wasn't anything, you know, special or, or really extraordinary, but just the, the friendship that you had and the closeness that you had. And, and you're like, man, that was living. Maybe it was a trip for you. Maybe it was a, a certain moment. Maybe it was a, a, the day you got married. Maybe it was the day you graduated or, or the day you had your first child. Maybe it was the day you gave your life to Christ. Maybe it was the day that you got baptized. But bottom line is, we all have different definitions of what life really is. You know, some of us are like, well, life is friendship, and, or life is, is love, or life is, you know, purpose and, and, and fulfillment. We, we all have different definitions of what it, it means to really live life. For some of you, the only definition would be skydiving. You're like, I only feel really alive if I'm jumping out of planes or doing something crazy, right? 
And some of you are, are like, no, my, I really only feel alive when I'm home by myself and nobody's bothering me. Any, any, any moms with little kids feel that way right now, right? If I could just have five minutes of peace, right? And so what is living? This story that we're looking at, it's so cool because we get to the end and we see this word life used quite a bit. And this story illustrates life as a reconnection with God, or like this series called Finding Your Way Back to God. That literally, this is the moment where life begins. In Luke 15, 24, kind of the climax of this story, the father says, for the son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Now we know that the son wasn't actually dead, right? He was maybe dead in his regret. He was dead in his sin. He had ran away. He had wasted everything he had. He had tried to live life the best he could. He had tried to live his own version of life, and he had failed miserably. He found himself lonely. He found himself hungry, tired, cold, all of the above, all because he was chasing after his own version of life. He comes home, and the father says he was dead. And now he has returned to life. And I encourage you to go home this week and read all of Luke chapter 15. Amazing, three amazing stories that Jesus tells. And I hope you notice that something happens in all three stories in Luke chapter 15. The first one is about a sheep that was lost. And when the lost sheep is found, it happens. And, and when the, the second story happens in the lost coin and, and the woman finds the lost coin, when she finds the lost coin, it happens. And then when the lost son is found, the same thing happens. And what happens? The news goes out. What was lost is now found. And guess what? It was time to have a party, right? It was time to celebrate. It was time to rejoice. It was time to, to live the new life that was occurring. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says it like this. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And so just to be clear today, we're not talking about just whatever gets you going, whatever, you know, makes, makes you feel alive. We're not just talking about just whatever you would deem as the perfect day or the perfect experience. No, we're talking about a very specific kind of life today. What happens when we meet Jesus? How our life, life is transformed, how the direction and the trajectory of our life is forever pointed in a new direction. Unfortunately, though, many times our life with Christ looks just like our life before Christ. And maybe some of you that have recently given your lives to Christ have already experienced this. Maybe even in this series, just a few weeks ago, you said, okay, Jesus, I've awakened to longing and regret. I see how much you love me. I'm going to turn my, my life towards you, and I'm going to begin to live with you at the center. And already... Already, your life has begun to slip back into some old ways. Now, I don't want to say that just to make you feel bad, because more, even more so, I just want to say join the club. We've all been there. Every single person that has ever followed Christ, and including the Apostle Paul, who wrote 
who wrote a bunch of the New Testament, he was just a hero of the faith, could echo this, that there's this battle between the new life that has become, that has begun, and the old life that we used to live. And after the party, after the celebration, maybe, you know, how many of you know what it's like to get married one day and it's like, whoa, and then the next day you feel like you got ran over a truck from all the excitement and all the emotion and it's like, what just happened? And sometimes the next day you're like, man, I don't feel married. But then you look back at the pictures and you're like, oh yeah, I got married yesterday. And sometimes it's like that when you follow Christ. It's like, man, I know the new life has begun, but, but I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which way to turn. I, I don't even, I know that something happened. But what does this new life look like? I don't know about you, but I don't just want an emotional experience with Jesus. I don't want a fleeting faith. I don't want to be moved but not transformed. I want the abundant life, the life to the full that Jesus is talking about. But if we're going to know how to go after that and how to live in it and how to, how to make that a part of our life every single day, then we have to know what it looks like. We have to define it. And so we gotta be intentional. And so today we're gonna to talk about three ways that I believe the Jesus life are, is marked very distinctly by these three things. And so if you wanna grab your notes, your, the, half, um, the half sheet on your chair, or if you wanna to go to the Mosaic Church app uh, and hit notes, the notes are there as well. And, um, and follow along, get engaged, take some notes as we dig into God's word today. And so the first thing that we see that Jesus' life is marked by, this new life is marked by, is celebration, not duty. Celebration, not duty. How would you describe your relationship with Jesus right now? How would you describe it? Is it marked by, more by celebration? Or is it marked more by duty, which is just doing, this, doing the right thing because it's the right thing? Now, don't get me wrong. We need both. All right? Don't get me wrong. We should always do the right thing because it's the right thing, even if we don't feel like it. But the real mark of, of the Christian life and following Christ is that duty flows out of a heart of celebration. Duty flows out of a heart that is just so in love with Jesus that I'm never going to let that fire go out. I'm never going to let that die down, even when it's hard. Man, I'm going to keep celebrating what God has done in my life. Now, can you act your way into feeling? Of course you can. But doing things out of duty can only last so long without celebration, without a heart connection, without just rekindling and staying right in awe of, of what Jesus has done for you and for me. And so there's two really specific things that we need to do to keep our hearts soft and in line with the why behind the what. You'll hear me say this a lot. Man, if our why is big enough, we can do any what. Uh, Victor Frankl said it like this. If your why is big enough, you can do any how. If your why is big enough, man, you can tackle anything in life if you know why. And that's really what I'm talking about when we talk about celebration, that I cannot forget the why, <clears throat> that Jesus died for me, that he loves me, that he's got a plan for me. Man, every single day that I get up, man, that's gotta fire me up, even if I don't feel like it. Man, I'm gonna celebrate 
what God has done and wants to do in my life. And so there's two ways that we do this. And the first is, man, we celebrate publicly. And this is what we see in the story. Son comes home. What does dad do? He throws a very public party. He throws a public party celebrating God and what he can do. And so what does this mean for us? It means go to church. Go to church, and if you can't make it in person, man, attend online. If you can't do that, you know, do something. Get to church. Change your schedule. Do whatever you have to do to get around the family of God. There is massive power in your life and longevity and consistency in being around the people of God and engaging with the people of God and doing whatever it takes to rub shoulders with people that are celebrating God. I want to encourage you when you do come to realize that it's a corporate exercise. Man, just because there's people on a stage and we're all looking at them and they're singing and I'm speaking and just because I'm the only one talking right now does not mean that this isn't a corporate exercise. You're not here to watch. You're not here to consume. You're not here just to just to listen. You're here to play a part. Man, I love all my friends in the room that give me those amens and those shout outs and because, hey, what does that tell me? It tells me they're listening and they're engaged and they're a part of what's going on. And so... Man, when you come to church, I want to encourage you, even if, you, even if you're very quiet and reserved, to play a part. Even if it's just up here, stay engaged. Worship, whatever that looks like for you. Man, we've got people from all backgrounds here at Mosaic Church, and I love that. <clears throat> we got people that with a little bit more charismatic backgrounds like me. You know, we got people that, that, um, that maybe grew up in some mainline denominations, Methodists, Presbyterians. We've got, we've got former Catholics. We've got, we got all kinds of people in here. And so, so some people, you know, their, their hands are always up and some people are like, I will not be moved. And guess what? Guess what? We're all welcome. And it's okay. You know what is most important? The direction of your heart. Are you open? I could care less if you do this, if your heart is closed to Jesus. And so whatever it looks like for you, Jesus doesn't care if your hands are up, if you jump, or if you can sing on key or off key. He doesn't care. You know what he does care about? He cares about your heart. Making room for him to do whatever he wants, you to, wants to do in your life. And so when you come, play a part, worship, pray, serve, smile, greet somebody. Man, man, make room in the house for other people. Another way that you can celebrate publicly and when you come to worship here is to prepare your heart. The Bible says be ready and eager to hear the word of God. And so when you come in, don't come in haphazardly. Don't come in just like, man, I'm checking it off. Oh, the wife made me. Oh, the husband made me. Oh, the, uh, my grandma made me. Oh, I, ju I just feel like I have to do this. If I don't do this, Pastor Joe's going to give me a call and ask me where I've been. No, for no, uh, none of those reasons. No, come in ready and eager to hear God's word. You know, the celebration that the father threw for the son it wasn't a private celebration. They wanted to spread the news. And to me, this just, it, it's almost like what we do on Baptism Sunday, which we're going to have in November again, when, man, people who have made a decision to follow Christ, they publicly get dunked, all right? Sometimes we like to call it the jacuzzi for Jesus. And yes, the water is warm. And they get dunked and everybody goes crazy. Why? Because we're celebrating publicly the fact that we were all once lost and dead in our sin, but now we're found. Listen, everything 
eternally good that has ever happened to me happened at church. Everything. And we've got a, we've got a whole generation of people these days, and, and not, just, not just one uh, generation, but just a, uh, all ages of people kind of separating themselves from the local church and and they like to call it institutionalized religion or or organized church and saying oh I don't need it and I would just encourage you don't let your hurt your relational drama that you know how some individual and how they've treated you or how things have gone or how things went sour don't let that taint for you what it can look like to be in the family of God, in a local church body. Don't let it ruin it for you. Because man, I'm here to tell you today, man, we are meant to celebrate publicly, together, what God has done in and through us and for us. When a church, though, has gone from celebration to duty, just just doing it because it's the right thing, guess what, all life leaves the room. All life leaves the room. And you know how you can tell whether or not, you know, you're celebrating is when life gets hard. I love the the story of Paul and Silas when they got arrested and they're put in prison and they're in the stocks and they're tied down. And what do they do? They just start celebrating publicly wherever they were. Why? Because they, it wasn't going to be determined by, by their circumstance or where they, were in li- where they were in life. No, they were just going to keep celebrating publicly no matter what. And man, I pray that's true of our church. The second thing that we got to do if we're going to be people that are marked by celebration and not just duty is we got to celebrate privately. We celebrate privately. What you do in private reveals your motives. And when we celebrate privately every day, three things happen. Our heart stays soft. We remain thankful and we invite the Holy Spirit into every season and every part of our life. But when we only celebrate publicly on Sunday, when we only talk to God when we, when we go to church or when we hear the sermon or, or when we only worship Jesus when the music is playing and the worship team sounds amazing, then our motives and our heart starts to change. And our heart goes from a celebratory spirit to drudgery. And that isn't life-giving. The older brother in this story did not want to celebrate. And so just a short recap, the son comes home, dad throws him a party. My son who was dead is now alive. Let's party. The party begins. And so they go to get the older brother who, by the way, had never left who was the good brother. He had always done the right thing. He never ran out. And guess what? He didn't want to celebrate. He didn't want to celebrate. He was annoyed, hurt, you fill in the blank, that they're throwing a celebration for the kid who messed up, but had come back. And his private thoughts, his thoughts of, of anger, his thoughts of, 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 of just you know, man, I'm not happy about that. He felt cheated, maybe. They spilled over into the public. But you know what the real issue was? He saw himself as a slave, not as a son. You know what he said to his dad? He said, all these years I've slaved for you, 
and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. What does that sound like? Duty. And so doing the right thing for all those years but not being connected to the real heart of God caused his heart to grow hard. And when the time came to celebrate and to align himself with the heart of God, he couldn't do it. Why? Because his life was marked more by a spirit of duty and religion than it was celebration. Listen, it's hard to celebrate when you don't value what God has done for you. It's hard to celebrate when, you've, when you don't value or when you value what you've done more than what God wants to do. Duty is necessary. Man, we got to just stick it out sometimes, but celebration is essential. And if God is celebrating something, we should too. We should too. I love the psalmist's heart in Psalm 63.1. And I think this, this, is a real, this, this really gives us a great example of what it means to celebrate privately and then publicly. And so in 63.1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. And then in verse 6, I lie awake thinking of you meditating on you through the night. Man, isn't that an amazing picture of celebrating privately? Hey, not at church, not just when the music's playing. Man, God, I just can't get enough of you. And I love what it says, in this land where there's no water in this parched and, have you ever, have you looked around in our world and thought to yourself, man, things are getting a little crazy. Things are a little messed up. God, man, I, I can't discern what is life and what is not. Well, hey, the key is, to celebrate privately the goodness of God and how good he is and just be, and keep your heart connected with just a hunger for the presence of God. And then in Psalm 149.4, it says, the Lord delights in his people. And so you see this picture of man, we're delighting in God, we're celebrating his presence, we're just so in love with him, we're not gonna, we're not gonna leave this time of celebration and, and just making a big deal about God. And, and then in return, God is delighting in us. He loves you more than anything. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. His love for you has no bounds. And which means that we're never going to run out of things to celebrate when we think about the grace of God. And then in Psalm 121 or 122, 1, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so we see this pattern of, of man hungering for the presence of God, staying in celebration mode in our personal life, celebrating what God has done for us on the cross. This is the mark of a new life that I forever and always will be in awe of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And if I wake up one morning and man, it doesn't really get me going, guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to start thanking him because where my thanks goes and where my gratefulness goes is where my heart is going to go. And so I'm just going to tell Jesus how thankful I am for his presence. I'm going to celebrate it in my life. I'm going to celebrate the fact that man, even though I've been following Jesus for, for a while, man, once I was dead in my sin, but now I'm alive in Christ and I'm just going to thank him for it again and again and again. I'm going to seek his face and then I'm going to be glad when they say to me, come on, when my pastor says, get to church, guess what? I'm going to be glad and I'm going to, can't wait to get in the house in the presence of God with his people. Let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's celebrate the presence of God. 
The older brother, though, had lived a life marked by duty and didn't even know how to celebrate when a lost soul had come home. I think that's a great picture in our life. Man, if we're not celebrating the things God's celebrating, if we're hung up about things that that are distracting us from our joy, then man, maybe we're not living that celebratory life that God has called us to live. If God delights in me, and I in him, I can delight in others when they find Jesus. Amen. And so a continual celebration of God's grace is what will fuel the next two steps that we're going to talk about today. So the second thing that we see is community, not isolation. So what does the the Jesus life look like? First, man, we're celebrating privately and publicly. The second thing that we're doing is we're getting in community and we're not staying isolated. The the prodigal son was isolated in the pig pen, and he was surrounded at the party, right? He was isolated in the pig pen. He was surrounded at the party. So when you step into a relationship with Jesus, God's model is that you aren't running alone. You're not doing life alone, but you surround yourself with other Christ followers going in the same direction. You may have thought that this journey that that you take back to God is one you take by yourself. It's not. You were never designed to travel alone. You might have left alone. You might have gone and and had that wild living alone like we talked about that the prodigal son did. But when you come back, the party has a lot of people involved. How many of you remember that song, One is the Loneliest Number? Right? Some of you, though, you've grown, especially over the last couple years, you've grown to love your me time. That's That's a new term these days, isn't it? Oh, I just love my me time. And while there, there, there's something to be said for that, Friday night, I told Jolie, um, I was home <clears throat> two or three hours by myself. And you know what I did? I sat on the couch. Praise be to Jesus. <clears throat> I told her, I can't remember the last time. I was just home at night by myself doing nothing. I'm like, this is amazing. I could get used to this. This is awesome, Right? And, and so sometimes that can be really tempting. It's like, oh, I just, I just need my me time. But guess what? It can only go on for so long. It can go, only go on for so long. Guess what? People who are isolated forever, guess what happens? They go crazy. <laughs> they literally lose their mind. But we see the older brother in this story, he refused to be a part of the party. He refused to be a part of the party. And guess what? It was his loss. His loss. I love what Matthew 18, 20 says. Jesus gave this amazing promise. He said, for where two or three gather as my followers, I am there among them. I'm there among them. Listen, church. One of the primary ways that you'll experience the love of Christ is through others. Others. When we get together with other believers in groups or in our serving teams or, or for dinner, maybe you invite somebody to, to dinner after church, guess what? Just because you leave the church building, when you're with somebody in God's name and you invite him into the conversation, guess what Jesus promises? He's right there among you. I love what Jesus prayed before he left this earth. He said, my prayer for all of them is that they will be of one heart and one mind so that the world will believe that you sent me. You getting in community with other believers and doing life together is part of Jesus' strategy for the world to understand that he's real. 
I love what it says in, in Hebrews. It says, every day keep encouraging one another so that none of you is hardened by the glamour of sin. Wow. So if I want to not slip back into my old life of sin, what do I need to do? I need to be in encouraging relationships. People that are lifting up me up. People that are encouraging me. People that know me well enough to look me in the eye and say, oh man, you're getting sucked back in. Right? Again in Hebrews it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So over and over and over, number one, when we get together, God's presence is there. Number two, man, for accountability, we need each other. And number three, he just plain told us to do it. Be together, encourage each other. It's essential for your walk with Christ. And so the life that God has called us to live, this new life is marked by celebrating his presence and being together in community, not isolation. I think sometimes we take such a cavalier attitude when it comes to getting together with other believers to learn God's word, to discuss God's word, to pray together, to just be together with the focus of getting closer to Jesus. And we, we and, and you know, I get their seasons. My kids are in sports too, and, and some seasons work better than others. But man, there needs to be this thread of community throughout our life where we're rubbing shoulders. Iron is sharpening iron. And we're getting close to Jesus because our friends are spurring us on in the fight. The reason that so many of us start to feel isolated and alone and we, we feel like we're not feeling the love of God anymore in our life, is because God wants us to know and experience his love through the love of other people. Sadly, too often, we don't let ourselves get close enough to other people to, let, or to, to feel his love through them. It's a promise in God's word that we're not taking advantage of. And so I just want to encourage you today with all the love of my heart. I'm not getting on you, but hey, if it's a life group, do it. If it's inviting somebody that you've met at church out to lunch, do it. If it's grabbing coffee with somebody that you know, know loves Jesus, do it. I'm not saying you have to fit just in the perfect little mold that we, you know, we create here at church, which is life groups. No, but do it. Don't let anything stop you from being in community with believers. You need it. It's what the Jesus life looks like. And then number three, lastly, as we close today, the third mark of a Jesus-led life is a commission to lead others, not live for yourself. A commission, a call, a directive, a command that I'm going to lead others with my life and my life is going to be more about others than it is about myself. Matthew 28 18 through 20. Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about how the father throws his party and he puts the ring on, he puts the robe on, he puts the sandals on his feet and, and all these things symbolize something and that, that ring, you know, it, it symbolized that authority. And it's the same with you and me that Jesus, before he left this earth, before he left his disciples, he said, man, I've been given all the authority in heaven and on earth. And then he gave a command. And he said, therefore, go and make 
disciples, underline that, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we see a few things in that verse. We see authority. Then not only does Jesus have the authority, but he's given you the authority to go and lead, to make disciples, to make a difference, to teach people. We see baptism, we see teaching, we see, you know, when Jesus said, and I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age, you know, what was he alluding to? He was alluding to the fact that he's going to deposit his Holy Spirit in your life. He's never going to leave you, never going to leave you, never going to forsake you, always there. Love that. But so much of the time for so many believers, and the reason that we're not feeling like, man, we're really living this life, that this, this awakening to life that God has called us to live, is because this feels like a huge stretch. We read a verse like this, especially sometimes as a new believer, or maybe even a seasoned believer. You've been serving Jesus for a long time, but you read to that and you're like, I just don't know. I don't know if I could do that. Man, I know my pastor makes disciples and, and somebody, and there's some really good teachers, and, and, but, but, but me? How in the world? You might be saying, Joe, have you met me? Do you know what's going on in my life? How in the world could be call, God be calling me to lead? I just don't see it. And so a lot of times we're like, okay, come to church, I can do that. Okay, do my devotions at home, I can do that. Okay, you know, spend some time with people, I love drinking coffee, I could do that, right? Talk about Jesus, awesome, love it. Lead? I don't know. That sounds scary. That's gonna challenge a lot of pre preconceived notions I have about myself and my life and what I can do and what I can't do and what, what my effectiveness can be. But nevertheless, Jesus gave us this commission. But so much of the time we're like, Jesus, I met you, I love you, I love your love, I love your mercy, I love your grace, but now you want me to do what? And I just wanna encourage you that leading is way easier than we make it out to be. And the kind of examples that Jesus gives us in his word, he says, plant seeds. Can you do that? Can you do that? I believe you can. I believe that you can plant seeds of encouragement. I, be, I believe that you can plant seeds of, get this one, consistency. I believe that you can plant seeds of doing the right thing. I, be, I believe that you can plant seeds of living your life in such a way that it doesn't distract from the cross of Christ. I believe that you can do it. It might look different than what you've traditionally thought. You might, you, you might say, well, Joe, I can never get up and speak and preach like you do. And, and I would say, that's okay. You don't have to. But what the Bible does say you need to be ready to do is be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Be ready. Think about it. How would I explain it when I tell people what God has done and is doing in my life? And so we're going to plant seeds, we're going to water seeds, and then we're going to repeat. And we're going to keep doing the right thing, and we're going to keep living our life, and we're going to keep celebrating. And we're going to stay in relationship with believers. Jesus said it like this. He said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let it out. Does that mean you're always like, look what I did on Facebook? No. 
You know, we're not, we're not about self, you know, promotion or anything like that. But do it. Love people. Do something for somebody. Paul said, live wisely among outsiders. Live wisely. You know, how you lead people and how you make disciples is going to look different in every relationship because you start at a different spot in every single relationship. Different level of influence, different level of, of respect. Sometimes you break up the ground for a long time before you have that window to speak God's word into somebody's life. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just gives you just the right word for just the right time. What I think that the, the bigger problem is, is that a lot of times we're just not looking for the opportunity. We haven't made it a part of our priority list. We haven't accepted the mantle that God has given us to lead. So I want to encourage you today as we close this series to keep the party going. Keep that celebration spirit going on in your own heart, in your own life. Man, just selfishly as a pastor, I would love it if everybody comes in on Sunday morning and we don't have to get warmed up first. Right? That if you're a follower of Christ, you're coming ready. You rested up. You said a prayer. You got your heart ready. And from the first note of the first song, because you got here on time, because time in God's presence is precious. And hey, I know some of you are never going to get here on time, and that's okay. I still love you. Um, you know, I, I, I live with somebody like that, and so I get it. <laughs> but man, what if we just turned up the turned up the heat just a little bit and said, hey, man, I'm going to come ready to encounter the presence of God. And Right? And then when we got up the next morning on Monday, we did the same thing in our private life. And I'm going to do what Paul told Timothy. I'm just going to keep fanning into flame the gifts that God has given me, the, the call that God has given me. I'm just going to keep fanning it into flame. And then, just like the writer of Hebrews said, I'm gonna, not going to let my heart get hard. I'm going to keep it soft. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to celebrate publicly and privately. I'm going to stay in relationship so that I, I keep a good eye on my blind spots. Lest I drift. I don't want to drift. I don't want to coast. I don't want to slip into a, a version of life that maybe America loves, but God doesn't really care about. Man, I want to awaken to the real life that God has for me. A life of celebrating, of community, of leading, of doing life with purpose and leading people towards Jesus. Because at the end of the day, church, why are we here? Man, why am I here? What gets me up out of bed every morning as your pastor? Because I don't want one person in our town, in our area, not one person not one person to not hear the message of Jesus Christ because we kept our mouths shut. We can't always control the response. We can't always control what they do with it, but we can live right. We can celebrate God's presence. We can have a, a good example of what it means to be in community and we can lead others. We can be wise. We can be consistent. We can live our lives and let our light shine before men in a way that honors God. Amen. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes today. 
If you're here today and throughout this series, you've been saying, Joe, I, I want to go on the journey and now it's, it's time. I want, to, I want to give my heart and my life to Christ. It's time to surrender, just like that song said today. I wanna I want to begin living for Jesus. If that's you today, and you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus, and that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, Joe, that's me. I wanna give my life to Jesus and start living for him today. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for those that raised their hand, whether they were in the room or online. I pray that you meet them right where they're at. Friend, if you raised your hand, the word of God says that a few things. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, that he rose again from the dead, and you'll be saved. The Bible says that it's by grace you're saved. It's a gift of God. It's not by works. You can't earn it. You can't make God love you more or less. You just accept it. And so I just encourage you right there at your seat to accept this free gift of grace that God has given you, to believe in your heart, tell Jesus you believe in him, and then trust that he has plans for your life. You're deciding today to live for him and not for yourself anymore, to learn his word, to put it into practice, and to go on this amazing journey with him instead of without him. Amen. If you're here today and you say, Joe, one or all of the points today, whether it was celebration, not duty, whether it was community, not isolation, or and whether it was the commission to lead others, not live for myself. If any one of those really challenged and you just say, Joe, hey, I need to have a personal awakening to life. I'm gonna pray a closing prayer. And, I, and if that's you, you just wanna pray with me today, um, just raise your hand and say, that's me. My hand's up, I need to grow. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your people. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our church. I just pray that, man, we can stay in awe of what you did for us on the cross. I pray that we can stay in relationship with each other, challenging each other and spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. God, I pray that we can just see ourselves as the leaders that you called us to be, making disciples, leading people towards you. Help us in Jesus' name to do this life the way that you intended. Amen and amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.